0: our opinions tried to cram into scripture we want what god's wanting for us and this is a little bit heavy today this is pretty powerful This is not a palm sunday type message we're going to be having an easter sunday message next week but we're going to go back to james and uh, we're going verse by verse through here and by the way hey jasmine hey dustin and you got a stowaway baby gerky don't it's on the way when's your due date wow may 22nd that's getting close Uh, It's so good to see you guys, amen, yeah, you can't come soon enough, amen, it's good good to be together today, all right, Uh, so uh, let's find James chapter 2 today, we're going to get in James chapter 2, we got to talk about something that can be a little sensitive, but this is powerful, there's something that God wants us to think about, and uh, as we try to let his truth live through us, okay, So I'm going to read James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Join in and read with me. And once again, we do have notes on your YouVersion app that you can go to, or you can go to our church Facebook page, and uh, there's a link there so we can follow along, because I don't want to just get up here and do this thing. I want us to get the word. I want us to bring out the teaching. I want us to be able to have something to take home and to meditate on and to digest. I want us to have something that we can continue to apply to our lives. And so it's not just about us coming together for a little gathering on Sunday morning. Check that box and go home. This is going to be life changing. And I I tell you, I need this constantly, constantly uh, need the Lord to continue to nourish and to feed and to strengthen me uh, and teach me. Oh, wow. So this is powerful. This is inspired word of God. James is talking about your faith, faith going to work, what you believe should be affected, how you behave. And one of these big areas Is how you treat one another. How you treat other people. Especially people that don't come from where you come from. Or people that look different than you look. Or are different than you are. Okay. So James is going to hit this head on right now. Because he sees a problem. And he's talking to brothers. Now when he says brothers here. uh, He's talking to the brothers and the sisters. In their culture they pretty much just said it that way. So everybody's included here. He's talking to believers. All right? So here we go. James chapter 2, verse 1. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, You stand over there. Or you sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? That's the name of Jesus, by the way. Get a little context, right? All right. So then he says in verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Can't wait to unpack that just a little bit here. Amen. So, so uh, here's what it is. James gives us at least, three, at least three reasons why God has a problem with partiality. Or you might say prejudice. Favoritism. Okay. Not only is it the opposite of how God treats us. But he says it's a sin and a trespass. That's what he says. So here, let's get a little definition going here. You ready? All right, here we go. Partiality or prejudice, favoritism. It is making a value judgment. It's making a value judgment. See, this shows up in how you treat people. It's making a value judgment in deciding how you feel about other people based on unbiblical criteria. Thanks to Dr. Tony Evans for that definition. That's a good way to put it. You're making a judgment, a value judgment about somebody and how you're going to feel about them, how you're going to treat them. And it's based on unbiblical criteria. It will affect how you think about them. It will affect how you uh, relate to them. It will affect how you treat someone else just because of some various differences that they may have. It could be based on many things. This is wide open. Social status, he plows into that immediately. That was a big problem. It could be cultural differences, could be color of skin, ethnic background, racism. It can be based on how they dress, the look that they have, their ha- hairstyles, piercings, tattoos, I don't know. It could go on and on. It could be a host of external reasons why we would value someone as less than ourselves. James is going to shoot it straight, and he's going to say that when you do that, you're not acting like the Lord, you're committing a sin. You might think it's no big deal, but God says, big deal. And that's what we're going to talk about here for a little bit. And uh, we're going to follow up on it in our Bible study and discussion tonight in our fellowship Bible study time. So notice that this point is made to people who have the scripture. Because we already know, he calls them brothers and sisters, we already know you can't be saved without the word of God, right? Because back in verse 18 he reminded us of that when he reminded us that we've all been brought forth, born again, by the word of truth. So these folks are professing to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Right? Are you, are you getting this? We're setting the context here. We want to pull out of it what he's teaching. These are folks who profess to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of Glory. Did you notice that he says, "Show no partiality," as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of Glory. He doesn't just say Jesus; he is that he's Savior, but he's more than just Jesus. He's Lord Jesus. See, a lot of people are interested in Jesus saving them, but they're not so sure they want to bow before him as Lord, but he's both. If he's going to be your Savior, he's also your Lord. He's Lord Jesus. He's not just the Lord Jesus. He's Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the Greek word equivalent to the Hebrew word for Messiah, that he is king. He is the anointed one who is sent down from above, and he's not just the Lord Jesus Christ he says he is the Lord of Gloria. He glorious. He, he's of, of all Gloria. He is the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Lord over all glory. Anything that's glorious. He's Lord over it. He's reminding us who we're talking about here. That's what we need sometimes. And sometimes as, as, we, as we in the future getting back to sharing even communion on Sunday mornings. This is a reminder that he wants to remind us who he is and what he's done for us. We're going to be doing that Friday night too. That we're going to be reminded who he is, what he's done for us. He's going to give us something we can touch, something we can taste to remind us of the price that he paid to save us. Cuz sometimes we take it for granted. We take it we too lightly. The grace that we have received. What sinners we are. And how perfect and glorious and awesome He is. The only reason why we can approach Him at all is because He's had mercy. And He's had grace on us. And more than that, He came and He paid the price for all of our sin. All of it. Even sins you had not even committed yet. He took the wrath of God, the punishment of God for all that sin. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't stand a chance. He is the Lord of glory. But here's the problem. They, they came to the, they held faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. The problem is this. The problem was, is that their faith, their, their faith said one thing. But their beliefs about him was not matching up with their behavior with one another. So we ask the question, do your beliefs about Jesus match up with your behavior toward others? Because that's what he's looking for. And he also tells us later, we're going to have to give an account for that. Because if you, you can't be straight on Jesus and go sideways on your brothers and sisters and other people. Their problem was their practice. So three things to which he appeals here in this passage. And we're going to spend most of the time on the first one. Three things that he appeals to that we're going to break it down this way. Uh, to show the sin of partiality. What a sin it is. First of all is the nature of God. And secondly is the word of God. And thirdly is the mercy of God. Did you get that? Alright so first of all the nature of God. How we behave toward other people shows what we really believe about God. You may be saying all this stuff. But how you treat other people is a big way. That you're really going to show people what you really believe. You're saying one thing. But James is all about It's all about faith. But a real faith is, shows up in what you do. Not just what you say. And we're going to get into that after we take a little break here from Easter and then see our Sunday. And and then after that, we're we're going to come back where he's going to pick this thing up. If you say you have faith, you're talking it, but there ain't nothing in your life that shows it. Your faith is dead. It's It's a talked about faith. It's a said faith. It's not a real faith. And we're going to come back to that. So we're leading into it here. And it has to do with how we behave, how it shows what we really believe. It's not just what we say. And so how we behave toward other people shows what we really believe toward God. And guess what? If you're showing partiality, favoritism, and prejudice, you need to know God is not this way. This is not the way God is. So you're not acting like him at all. If you're acting this way, you're going against the very nature of God. In the very God in whom you profess to hold faith. That's what he's saying. You're going against him. One of the often overlooked attributes of God. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere all the time. But another attribute. He's holy. He's just. He's love. Another attribute of God is God is impartial. That's an attribute that is often overlooked. And there are so many verses in the Old Testament and the New Testament that talks about this. This could be its own series, okay? So I'm just going to throw one or two out there. That God is no respecter of persons. In fact, Job... God's asking Job about this, uh, in Job 34:19, He's talking about God here who shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of His hands. He's declaring that in God's eyes, we're all the same value, doesn't no matter who you are. Hey, and it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter. Whoa, whoa. it doesn't matter what you've done. He loves you the same. It doesn't even matter what you say you believe. You can believe something that goes contrary to the word of God. And you may be wrong. But God still loves you just the same. You can blaspheme him. You can say you don't believe in him. You can fight against him. Guess what? He loves you all the same. It never changes. In another place he says he's loved us with an everlasting love. That means from eternity past To forever, it never ends that way. Um, Then in the book of Acts, Peter says this in Acts 10, 34. He said, he opened his mouth and said this. He said, truly, this is after God made it known in such a powerful way that the Gentiles were part of the body of Christ. Not just Jews, it's everybody. Not just Jews, but Jews and Samaritans. Not just Jews and Samaritans, but now everybody. See, the thing is sin divides. You, are you follow me? This this is a little little side route here, but but it's it's important. Sin divides. I mean, the first thing that happened after Adam and Eve sinned was what? They've been in perfect fellowship, in perfect union. First thing, when they hid themselves, they tried to hide from God. We're still trying to do that. The next thing they did, they tried to fix the problem themselves by trying to create their own covering, right? Didn't work, did it? We tried to fix it ourselves, come up with our way. Next thing they did when God asked them, you know, about their situation is the first thing Adam did was blame the woman. And he tried to blame God, too, whom you gave me. You know, it's her fault. Men have been doing that ever since. <laughs> and it won't stop till we get to heaven, amen? We blame the woman. And then the woman blamed the serpent, right? And as you know, the serpent... Ended up with not a leg to stand on. But anyway, uh, I know that's old, but it had to come out. It had to come out. Sin brings division because of sin and rejecting God and trying to do their own thing and building their own temple of worship as humans... God said to scatter out and multiply the earth. They didn't do it. They decided they wanted to reject the true God and, and worship in their own way and make their own rules. They built this tower, the Tower of Babel as we call it. And that's when God separated the languages and people separated. And because you genetically have a smaller group of people that move and isolate themselves, different things genetically became to, to the forefront. And that's where the different ethnic uh, peoples probably, it probably came from that, as people were divided into smaller groups and things began to happen that way. Sin is what divided. But on the day that the promise was fulfilled, on the day of Pentecost after the resurrection, and the Holy Spirit was poured out, one of the first things that happened was everybody there, and were Jews that had come from all over the empire and proselytes, people who weren't even Jews, and they spoke different languages. They didn't know Aramaic. They didn't know Hebrew. And every single one of them heard the gospel in their very own. And the word that's used there isn't, the word tongue or language, it's actually the word for dialect. They didn't just hear the gospel in their language. They heard it in their own dialect. You know, if some of us had been there, we'd heard him say, now y'all listen to this, right? That's what we'd heard. It's powerful. Every language that was spoken that day is listed right there in Acts chapter 2. So what's happening? What's God showing us? That the the sin divides, but Christ brings together. He talks about that dividing barrier between Jew and Gentiles. That Christ broke it down to bring together into one in the body of Christ. So this is what God's trying to do. Now James is writing primarily to Jewish people. Who have been raised under the law, Old Testament law, as Jews. And some of them twisted, this is kind of the tendency we do, they twisted God's calling on them to be a license for prejudice. You know, they would say, well, we see God separated out our people and we're special. See, like we're better than everybody else, right? And uh, so they, they, the whole reason God separated them out, if you remember what he told Abraham, was that they would be a blessing to what? All people. And through them, one was coming that was going to be a blessing to all people. So God separated them out for a separated purpose under the old covenant. That was a very specific reason. And even in the lineage of Christ, we see so many different uh, uh, Gentiles brought in, right? If you're reading through the Bible, you probably just read through Ruth, right? And you, you've read through some of these where you see that even there, that where God, God is showing his, his mercy and his grace and his power. But they try to take this and turn it around and say, well, we're just special. You know what? Some people do that today. They'll try to take some Old Testament scriptures where God was telling the Hebrew or Jewish people to be his separated people. And not and what is it? Not to mix it up with the other nations because God didn't want them to become idolaters. And to adopt their practices. They were to be a light and a witness to those nations. But it kept happening the other way. They let those nations come in and infiltrate them and get them away from God. So sometimes people, even today, will take an Old Testament passage that specifically applied to them and misapply it to us. Because I want to tell you, in the Bible, it doesn't say anything in the New Testament. There is nothing in the Bible that's, and so years ago, it was a big deal about people from different races intermarrying. They're taking something that applied to the people of Israel the old covenant that, that didn't even go by completely they're taking that and trying to apply it to people today. It doesn't apply. The Bible does not teach that in any way. You need to know that. That's a lie when someone says that. And we got people all over this country preaching lies. Here's what he does say in the New Testament. He says that you don't need to be unequally yoked with what? Unbelievers. If you're a believer, and you need to really think twice before you enter into a marriage covenant with someone who doesn't even believe. That's what he does say. <laughs> but otherwise, otherwise, what God's doing is bringing all back together. So this is just one instance of how people have twisted the word of God, just like the Jews did years ago. There were, so anyway, the thing is, it goes against the nature of God. God's not this way. This is not the heart of God. Uh, if you're a prejudice, if you are partial. The other thing is, Jesus didn't treat people this way when he was here on earth. Jesus did not treat people like this. (sighs) Don't you love the fact that God became flesh and walked among us? Not only to die for our sins. Not only did he keep all of God's law perfectly. He was the fulfillment of all the ceremonial law. All of those elements of things in the tabernacle pointed to him. All of those sacrifices pointed to him. The feast days pointed to him and what he was going to do. All of it fulfilled. He fulfilled the law. All the moral law as well he fulfilled. On our behalf. Because guess what? Right out of the gate I blew it. So did you. Yeah. He kept that. So he not only lived in the flesh to keep that, so he would be the only one qualified as perfect to take our sins and pay the price for them. And being fully God, fully human, the only one who was qualified to bring a holy God and sinful humanity together. Not only that, but he also set an example by the way he lived. I love it. Because when Jesus shows up, Here's the king of kings, the Messiah. David was kind of an image or a type of this one who was going to be the great king who would come. He would come through a family line of David. He would enter the world. There was a real person coming. They all believed it. They all knew it. They didn't quite understand that he was also going to be God himself. God the son. But when he showed up, he didn't show up in a palace. He showed up to a couple Whose whole situation seemed to be questionable to the crowd, because they were legally engaged, but all of a sudden she was showing before she should have been showing, and we start figuring stuff up. And oh, 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 you know, I don't know about that. There was some talk. You know, there was some talk. In fact, when they come to the end, it's amazing that nobody, because this is family line, somebody had to be related to say, "Hey, take my spot." Nobody did. Nobody helped them on the journey. They're probably late getting there. They end up in a stable, which we make a nice little warm scene, but it was a cave. It was probably just some stall. Where the animals were, and that's where Jesus was born. There was no baby bed. They laid him in a feeding trough. That's how he came into the world. And 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 speaking prophetically from the Old Testament, it says there's nothing about him that would make us desire him. There's nothing about his physical appearance. That is, he looked like a normal, ordinary Jewish guy at that time. Didn't look any different than anybody else. There was no halo around his head, there was no light, nothing, you know. The only time is during that Mount of Transfiguration, he kind of zipped it down and showed Peter, James, and John who he really was and zipped it back up, right? So to speak, right? I'm just saying. But he was rejected because he didn't even look the part. He didn't, he didn't follow what they thought he ought to be. He was a carpenter, right? In fact, when he's in his hometown, Mark tells us back in there that, that when he's at his hometown, that they said, isn't this the carpenter? This can't be the Messiah. He's a carpenter. He had calluses on his hands. He's a blue collar kind of guy. We can relate to guys like that, you know. He was from, grew up in Nazareth, which was a nobody town, in, in Galilee. He wasn't even in Judea. I mean, you know, they would say he, he grew up around a bunch of those, if it was in our day and time and in our geography, which is not, but if it was, we just relate to it this way. They say he grew up around a bunch of those rednecks over there, right? Uh, and, and so that's the way God came in to this world. And so God's heart has always been about all mankind. And Jesus, he, he didn't treat people this way. He was a friend of sinners, You know, whenever he he related to people, listen, based on their potential, not on where they were when they met him, but on their potential. Aren't you glad? In fact, he often gave preference to those who were rejected, mistreated, downtrodden, and judged. Remember the widow's mite? You got the rich people making this big scene about all the money they're giving. This, This woman comes and just throws in a couple of pennies, as we say. Jesus saw it. And God does things I don't understand, but he's God, right? And I'm not. You know, this woman's so generous, he said she actually gave more than any of these rich people. It's like you went in and threw a couple of pennies in. He said, according to my father, she gave more. Well, if she's like that, why don't you give her a bunch? But she didn't have a bunch. She was poor, and God let her live poor, but she's rich now. She was already rich then, and she knew it, but just not materially. This is why that people who get hung up on the prosperity gospel is why it's such a problem. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. Because that's not real wealth. And and don't get get misled by that. It's not the guy telling you to give that's flying around in jet planes and living in a mansion. And And I tell you what, it ticks me off that some of our poor widows that don't have much are giving what they do have to some of these shysters who go and just live a material life and yeah yeah the enemy's all over that he loves that remember the widow though jesus saw where her heart was he had a he had a disciple named simon and simon was a little bit of a hot-tempered loud mouth but you know what jesus called him a rock when he wasn't even a pebble huh I thought that was good. Anyway, he reached out to this Samaritan woman at a well one day when you didn't even go through Samaria. If you could help it in those days, if you were a Jew and especially a woman. And so he goes and he talks to her. And and so, so there was a racial prejudice there that he broke down because the Samaritans were part, you know, they were part Jewish in their background, and part Gentile. And so they were kind of like, you might say half-breeds. And so the Jews despised them, but not Jesus. He makes a point to go through there, and he makes a point to have contact with not just Samaritan, but a woman woman who had, as it ends up, not a great reputation. And Jesus defended and spoke healing into her life. And she became one of the first evangelists that went and reached other people and brought them to Jesus. And then I remember that time that he spoke healing and forgiveness into a woman who was a, the Bible says, a woman who was a great sinner. What does that mean? It's in Luke chapter 7. You can look it up later. None of this is in your notes. You've got to make your own here. Um, Luke chapter 7. You know, Jesus was invited to this highfalutin Pharisee's house. His name was Simon, but Simon's a fairly common name. It's not talking about Simon Peter. It's another guy. And and so they recline like they did at the table, and, and this woman's there, and you know she's been hearing Jesus. You know this is the first she's heard about him. She's heard him teach, and she's had some kind of knowledge, and she notices something. She noticed that old Simon has dis respected Jesus. Because of common courtesy, you're going to invite some of his. See, there are all these Pharisees trying to do something, find a way to ridicule Jesus. But he's at his table. And, and and this lady, she's snuck into the crowd. And she's listening to him talk. And she sees that they've disrespected him. They didn't even wash his feet. And something about what Jesus, she brings this box of oil. And it's probably the most expensive, precious thing that she ever had. And she has it with her. And she she's so moved by what she sees. Because she's about the only one there that really gets it. That knows who he really is now and she begins to weep so much she comes and she kneels down at his feet and she doesn't have any water so she uses her tears to wipe his feet. She doesn't have a towel so she uses her hair to wipe off his feet and then she anoints him with the oil. And Jesus lets it happen. And the old Pharisee because see, Jesus can read your thoughts, right? He's sitting there thinking, wow, he must not be a prophet because if he knew what kind of woman that was, he wouldn't let her touch him, right? Just like a lot of us, man, you look at that prayer. I don't want her sitting by me at church. I'll get up and move. Now, that was his attitude. Jesus read his thoughts and said, hey, Sam, I want to tell you a story. And that's when Jesus told the story about the person who was forgiven a whole bunch. And then he went out and found somebody who owed him just a little bit. And he just like, you know, got that guy arrested, thrown into prison. And they said, what about? He said, "Well, man, that's terrible. He'd been forgiven a lot. How come? And he said that same way with you guys. You just don't realize that she does. She's been forgiven much, so she loves much. The truth is we've all been forgiven much. I mean this is the way our Jesus this is the way our Jesus interacted when he was around people. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Now, he didn't compromise his holiness or participate in their sin, but he loved the sinner. Remember this folks, what is a sinner? A sinner is a potential saint. That's the way Jesus looks at it. A sinner is nothing but a potential saint. Jesus himself, as I said, was judged by the religious leaders. But see, now now he is the glorious Christ. Now he is the one who is resurrected at the right hand of the Father. And guess what? He is the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? He uses this illustration about the rich man and the guy in shabby clothes. Well, guess what? In, in view of our perfect, glorious Lord Jesus, all of us are shabby. All of us. We have received his mercy. So James is asking us a question. How can you have a correct view of Jesus and a prejudiced view of people? Because that's not the way your God is. That's not the nature of God. That's not the way Jesus acted when he was here on earth. How can you do this? This is a very powerful question. And So instead of just teaching doctrine, he gives that illustration. This rich man, he comes sliding in there. Maybe, you know, if it's nowadays, he's driving some nice car and he come in all wanting to be, you know, Everybody pay attention to me. And he said, you guys fall for it. You know, like here, sit in the best seat here, this and that, which would be actually here in the back, not in the front, I guess. But anyway, in those days, it was in the front. Come on up here. Yeah, sit right here in this seat of honor. And um, and so uh, somebody somebody was talking about uh, uh, someone visiting their church and and is a very well-known, important, rich guy who supported a lot of community things. and And he actually asked to sit on stage with the pastor, you know, and pastor said, no. <laughs> and, and that's, that's a testament I heard from a fellow pastor but I, tell, I, I don't even set up here man I want to be down here worshiping with y'all right Do you want to know why I don't sit up here like we used to because I want to be worshiping with you guys and then we'll come up here when it's time to come up here but that's just me that's just the way I feel about it so um, but anyway this rich man comes in and but then a poor guy comes in and you're just like you're just going to have to stand somewhere or guess what you could, you could sit at my where I put my feet you could sit there he says, if that's the way you're going to treat people, listen, You, you, you he, he, see what he's doing here, he's not condemning the rich man for being rich or the poor guy for being poor. He's just talking about how folks at church might treat somebody, which was happening, or else why would he be talking about it? And so he brings out the sin now, the sin. Verse 4, look at it very plainly. He says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges? You've judged the value of these two people and with evil thoughts. You're judges with evil thoughts. So the sin was in the distinction, the distinction that they made and their motive for doing so. Their motive for doing so. Because, see, the thing about it is, um, some people might think the rich have something more they could offer me. You know, it might work out well for me if I can be friends with this dude, right? That poor guy, he's just going to need help and be a hassle, right? Right? So, so a lot of it is a selfish thing, uh, motives that they might have. But look what he says. It is selfish. He calls it evil. Did you see that in verse 4? And said so they become judges, actually. They're trying to set themselves up as judging with evil thoughts. It's not just about a, the act. It's the thought behind the act, the attitude about these people. It's not just say, don't just say, well, that's a culture I was raised in. Or that's just the way my parents were and all that. That is not a valid excuse for you. None of it. It's what does God say to us? So it's, it's and, and, and so say, well, it's not so much that the you know, judges with evil, you know, with evil judges, you know, but it's not just judging that's condemned, it's evil judging that's condemned. I mean, you know, people always say, don't judge. You have to make discernments and judgments about things. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount that, oh, just need to know that when you do the same. Rule that you are the same measurement that you measure other people with. God's gonna measure back to you, and don't be looking for some little speckus in your brother's eye or your sister's eye when you got a big two before sticking out of yours, right? Judgment starts here. Now you're gonna have to make some discernments and things like that. Uh, understand that, but but look at the ignorance of this sin, verse five. Here's what he says. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. He said, I'm trying to love on y'all and tell you the truth. I'm telling you this because I love you, right? Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Which he's promised to those at this kingdom. They're going to be heirs. And they may not seem like they have a lot of material things here. They may not be popular here. Or if you are rich and if you are popular, well, then use it as a good steward of God, right? But understand, those aren't your true riches, and understand that in the kingdom, many who are first here are going to be last there. And many who are last here, and we don't even notice them, are going to be first there forever in that forever kingdom. We're worrying too much about the here and now, aren't we? And not thinking about building up treasure for heaven. But he says this. So, so here's, here's the deal. Here's what he's saying. Uh, he says, um, you dishonor the poor man, verse 6. And, are, and, and he says, aren't, aren't, aren't the rich the ones who are oppressing you? And the ones dragging you into court, squeezing more money out of you? Aren't they the ones who are blaspheming the honorable name, Christ, which they were called? So they were dishonoring those who God honors. Here you are claiming to be God's people, and you are dishonoring the very ones that God himself honors. And Jesus actually honored when he was here on earth. You're dishonoring those who God honors, and you're honoring those who are dishonoring you. They're treating you bad, and they're also blaspheming God. How messed up is that? What's the matter with you? You see how ignorant that is? He says that the rich are the ones who are oppressing. And the Greek word literally means to tyrannize and blaspheme Jesus. And when reminded in Scripture that God does some of his choicest work among the poor, not that he doesn't use wealthy people, but his wealthy people understand where their true wealth is, right? Uh, Paul said this, 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. He said, remind us. But God chose what is foolish in the world. To shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world. To shame the strong. The thing about it is. When you're poor. You know you need God. Right. You're poor. And you don't know if you're going to eat this week. You're ready. You you might pray. Right. You're rich. You don't. You think you're doing okay. You know. Maybe I believe in God. But I don't need him. Right. You you could be that way. All aren't. uh, Because we got examples of both in the scriptures. Nicodemus. Joseph and Arimathea were very wealthy people and God used them in a powerful way. But they realized where their wealth, real wealth was and they used what they had in this world for God's kingdom's sake, right? And they enjoyed and gave God the praise for it, not thinking they did it all themselves. Uh, but the poor, a lot of times, are more likely to see their need for God. Sometimes we get, as we get more affluent, things get easier. You know, Early on, we're having trouble paying the bills. We're really trusting God, trying to live by faith. Now that we got a lot more maybe we just begin to coast a little bit right we used to pray and mean that lord give us our daily bread by the way you know in the bible according to in the bible days if you had today's food already you were considered wealthy most of us are wealthy because we got refrigerators and freezers and pantries we got not only our daily bread we've got a whole month or months worth of it But there are people out there today that are praying, Lord, I don't know if I'm going to eat today. Will you please help me? I don't know if I'm going to be able to feed my kids today. Will you please help me? That's as a reality for a lot of people. And they see their need for God. But, you know, sometimes it's this way with us. Some of us have been there. Like I said, remember when we were close to our first married and we were living out in Oklahoma and things, we were, our parents would have helped us if we'd asked, but we thought we're not gonna ask till we have to ask. And remember we invite our friends who were in college and their parents were sending them money. We invite them over to watch a little TV when I had an apartment, remember, in Norman. And then and, and after they leave, we dig through the, 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 the pillows and we dig through the, the, the padding on the, you know, and see if they dropped any change, you know. I can remember how long it was. I worked about eight miles down the road at Walmart and more, and I can remember that I, I went, I don't know how long, I never, ever filled the tank up. I just put enough, and you know, it's like daily bread. Lord, give me enough gas today to get to working back, right? And uh, we did that for a long time there. And uh, we got a little bit extra change. You know, we didn't mind going to McDonald's in those days. That was a privilege. Now, it's like, I don't need something better than that, right? It's, you know, but God is blessed. Praise God if we can do that, right? Amen? But here's the thing, is sometimes when you had nothing, it might have been God had more of you. That's the way it works sometimes, not all the time. It can work that way. That's the the tendency. But when you get a lot more, then you don't see you need God as much because you think you got this. That's why it works that way a lot. And he's pointing out that see, see, the real wealth we have is in Christ, and it's good if you got material things, right? It's good if you got some status. It's good if you got you some education, right? But that don't make you all that in God's eyes. It's who you are in your heart. None of those things are going to mean anything when you stand before God. Now, now I'm not saying, and he's, he's not saying that it's okay to reverse this and treat the rich bad. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying, but what y'all are doing is you're giving them privileges because you think you're going to get something from them. And you're treating the poor, you're showing partiality is what you're doing in this situation. So, this is, so, we, we always, see, and that's the thing, we always need to have powerful aspects of this ministry here in this church that reaches to the poorest we do and it's the thing about it is this kind of prejudice is contrary to the nature of god in whom you hold faith in whom you trust he's the lord of glory it's inconsistent with god as we said it's inconsistent with christ it's inconsistent with the way he lived while he was here with salvation See, we're to take the gospel to all people, no matter what. There may be people coming here, and yeah, their lifestyle is directly contrary to the way the Bible spells it out. But you know what? Not everybody grew up in the same home you did and got the same teaching opportunities that you did. Now, God's word is God's word, and God is the designer, and he's the creator. But as some people may come in here are curious about God that they don't really believe and know all that. I just feel like before we start with other things, we need to start with them beginning to learn and know who Jesus is. And come to know him as their Lord and Savior. And then some of the other things that they may believe or think, let 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 them grow and work through that. Because you're working through some stuff still too. It's just in different categories. But there's just certain categories that oh no, 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 no. We can't but but let's put Jesus first, right? Let's put Jesus first. Let's help people find Jesus and understand who he is. And then if they do that, they'll start to grow. And they begin to look and they begin to believe this is the word of God. Instead of just you telling them that, they begin to believe it and find it is true for themselves. And as they go through that, all of a sudden they're finding out that, wait a minute. Wait a minute. My my thinking and my lifestyle on this don't match up with what this is saying. And now they're ready to say, Lord, I'm ready to be what you want me to be. It's a process. It takes time. We almost want people to get cleaned up before they take a bath. Right? Right? Isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that ridiculous? All right, well, you know what? Um, I want to just kind of remind us of what else Jesus said about the least of these, the way we treat the poor. Because that story where he talks about separating the sheep from the goats, and they're like, you know, because I was naked and you didn't clothe me, I was hungry, you didn't feed me, I was in prison, you didn't come visit me. And they said, well, Well, when did we do that to you? And he said, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Or if you didn't do it to them, you didn't do it to me. That's how serious he takes it. how we treat what many would consider the least among us. All right. So this is it. The nature of God. The nature of God is why you don't, if you're going to believe in him. But real quick, one other thing is the word of God. And I just got a few things to say about this. Because there's so much here, we'll talk about this a little more tonight. Because he says, if you're gonna, the word of God comes against you. The word of God, he's, he calls it the royal law, and that royal law, he's going to tell us what it is. He says you're not even paying attention to the very scriptures that you profess to believe. You grew up learning the Old Testament. And Jesus, he, he, he's quoting from Leviticus nineteen eighteen. but Jesus put it this way. When someone asked him what the greatest commandments were, all the commands of God can be summed up like this, Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37. We, well, didn't we do this last week, huh? Yeah, these verses, you're getting, yeah, that's right. Uh, we're back. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all, and, and, and all your mind. This is a great and first commandment. You do that. So what I do in my obedience isn't to gain merit. It's because I love him because he loved me first. Love's the biggest motive. but Then he said this. The second one's like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. He said on these two hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, you do these two, you don't have to worry about anything else. And that's what he brings up here. That's the royal law. If you do that, you're doing well. Why is it the royal law? Because it's royal. That means kingly, right? It rules all the other laws. It fulfills all the other laws. If you have this love... You're you're not going to need all the other laws. You can love people. Guess what? He's going to give you the ability to love people that you don't even like. You say you have to like them, you got to love them. If you're doing this, you're doing well. You say, Well, I'm not there yet. Listen, that's how you feel. You feel like you can't. You're going on how you feel. We're supposed to walk by faith. So I don't care how you feel, this is what God says. You're going to trust him, and if you love him, you're going to obey him. And part of that is love others. We love anybody as much as we love ourselves? So he comes right out in verse 9, and he says this. If you show, you look at it with me. If you show partiality, you are committing sin. Well, it's not that big a deal. I mean, you know, will not we just worry about the big things, right? Murder, drunkenness, adultery, maybe a little bit of stealing, as long as it's not me cheating other people out of business deals. You know, the, the real stealing, right? We try to justify and rationalize things. Is this not a big deal? He says, yes, it is. It is sin. And you're convicted by the laws of transgressor." The word for sin there is a normal word for sin that means missing the mark. you are falling short. You're missing the mark of God's standard. And a transgressor, it means you're out of bounds. You are out of bounds. I mean, when you do this, you ought to be hearing the Holy Spirit blow the whistle. You're out of bounds. Because that's what a transgressor is. So, think this isn't a big deal? Is it? Look what he says in verse 10. He says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. (laughs) This isn't a big deal. No, no. God's looking at you. If you're just doing this as, as guilty as if you broke the whole thing. So that's the thing. It's not our works or our merit that get us there, folks. It's God's mercy. That's where we're going. All right? And you need to know this because you're checking your boxes thinking, well, I don't do this. You're looking around at other people judging. I don't do that. I don't do that. But what else, what do you have? And he says, you may keep everything else, but if you miss in one place, you're just as guilty as somebody who's breaking the whole thing. You need a savior. It proves you can't save yourself. And he uses two big examples. I always wonder, why did he say like adultery and murder? And said like, you know, so, uh, so he says, uh, you know, um, you, so you, you, uh, you stabbed old Sam to death. And they caught you. And you're in court. And the judge is saying, what do you got to say for yourself? They put you on the stand. You say, well, hey, I didn't cheat on my wife. (laughs) They don't carry any credit with the judge because you done killed Sam. You're a murderer. You don't get any points for not doing something else. And I think one reason why he uses these two were these were the two under the law that had potential death penalties, by the way, under the Old Testament, okay? Okay? Uh, so anyway, he uses these, so they're the big deals, right? So when he's talking about partiality, he relates them to some of the biggest deals, the big sins, right? The ones that carry the worst punishment. So he relates like that. So in the same way, he's saying, God who gave those laws is also saying, who gave those laws, not do those things is also saying, don't be partial. Same God. And if you think it's not a big deal. Listen, say these commandments are like a, a chain with 10 links in it. And you're suspended by this chain of 10 links. And you're hauled over a big gulf that if, it, if you fall, you, you're, you're destroyed. You're dead. How many links on that chain have to break for you to fall? Huh? You might say, man, I've got nine good links. But that number five or that number seven, you know, it's bro- it doesn't matter. Whether two or three of them or just one of them, you're dead. Right? Well, maybe all the rest of them are good, but number one wasn't good. You're just as dead. That's what he's saying there. You keep the whole thing, but you offend in one. You're just as guilty as if of all. And the last thing is the mercy of God because he says, here's the thing. He directs us finally right back to mercy. God has done all this. You can't save yourself. You needed a savior. God himself has given mercy to you. He has shown you mercy. Now you need to remember that you're going to be judged. There's going to be an account. This isn't a judgment for salvation. This is the beam of seat of Christ that he talks about in 1 Corinthians. He, is you're going to stand you. You're going to give an account. In fact, Jesus says uh, that we need to show mercy to others because you've received so much mercy. You need to. He says every idle word that we're spoken, we're going to have to give an account for before God. Did you know that? Every idle word. And all those times you didn't show mercy he said you've received so much mercy and you go out and you treat people this way It's the law of liberty though it's the law that gives you freedom to become You're going to be judged under the law of liberty See God's trying to set us free with this And then he says for judgment is without mercy to those who have shown no mercy You showing you're not God's given you so much mercy and you're not sharing it with others and mercy always triumphs judgment. Because if you're letting this be real in your life and mercy's coming through you and you're not judging others and you're loving others, guess what? You may be guilty sinner, but God's mercy on your life always triumphs judgment. You're not going to be condemned. You're going to be delivered because of mercy. So here's the point. You need to show others mercy because you receive so much mercy. And here's the deal. If you don't understand this, then I think what we're getting here is that if you don't understand this, you don't even understand the gospel at all. Because that's what the gospel is. It's God's grace and God's mercy that's been poured on you. And how dare you receive that and want to be right with God and you're not willing to give it to others around you. You're not Christ-like. You're not being godly. In fact, you're acting like you don't even know what the gospel is. So this is serious. And God, help us and prepare our hearts because we're going to be tested on this if we're going to try to reach and make disciples for Jesus out of all peoples, no matter where they come from or what rock they crawl out from under. We want to bring them to the rock, Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father, thank you.